If you were in prime shape and you were to fight Muhammad Ali when he was in his prime fighting shape, who do you think would win? Let me answer for you. He would. Every single time. If you were to go out and play Tiger Woods in a round of golf, I don't care what age you are and what age he is, do you think you would win? Probably not. No. So why do you think you can beat God? And you say, well, Chris, I don't believe that I can beat God. But that's what pride is. Whether you think you can or not, pride assumes this sort of autonomy that says, I am my own boss. I can, I can do it on my own. I'm in control. My way is best. Pride is really interesting because it's tasteless, it's colorless, it's odorless, it's non-fattening, and it's the hardest thing to swallow. It's convenient that the middle letter in pride is I because that's what pride is all about. It's all about I. It's all about me. It's all about what I can accomplish or what I can do. And it assumes this sort of autonomy that says, I can do it my way. I don't need God's help. But God is opposed to the prideful. We talked about it this morning. James talks about it right here in James chapter 4. And anything God is opposed to will fail. God is undefeated. And he will always be undefeated. You will never defeat God. I think we could accurately say that pride affects all of us at some time or another because pride is at the root of every single sin. Pride is the number one thing that keeps people out of heaven because pride is at the root of every sin. Every sin stems from pride. It did in the Garden of Eden. You remember that? Pride is what got Eve at the end. I mean, remember Satan's appeal to her, his temptation? That if you eat of this forbidden fruit, you'll be like God. He even presents God as being prideful and arrogant. That God doesn't want you to eat this because he'll have to share the stage with you and he doesn't want to do that. And we see it affect people like David and King Saul and Solomon. We see it affect so many people throughout scripture. Pride is the number one thing that keeps people out of heaven. In Galatians 5, we find the fruit of the spirit. But just before that, we find the fruit of the flesh. And starting in verse 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is pride not behind every single one of these? In fact, all of these are really just a byproduct of pride, are they not? Because pride is the root of all sin. And Satan knows this. And he custom makes the temptation just for you. We have streaming TV in our house. We have Hulu. I don't know if you have something similar like Netflix. Satan operates like Netflix. He works like Hulu. He studies what you watch. And then when you turn on the TV, it has that for you section up there. And it shows, based on your viewing, all the programs, movies, or whatever that, that Hulu or Netflix thinks that you'll like. That's how Satan operates. He studies you. He figures out what it is that tempts you. And he creates a lineup, hoping that you'll tune in. Why is God opposed to the proud? Because the proud don't need God. At least, that's what they think, Right? Why do I need God? I can do this on my own. I, I, I have this figured out myself. I, I don't rely or depend on anyone. If there's something that I want, I take it because I deserve it to begin with. You are the center of the world, the center of the universe, the center of the cosmos. 
The world exists to serve you. Who needs God? We see this play out in Scripture over and over again. Pride consumes individuals. Like we said, David, Solomon, King Saul, we see it consume people like Diotrephes in the New Testament. We see over and over again pride bringing people down. But here's the problem. We don't tend to look at pride as a severe sin. We don't tend to see it as, as the severe sin that it is, right? I could stand up here and I could tell you, folks, I really struggle with pride. And you say, yeah, Chris, I understand. I do too. But I could stand up here and say, I really, I really struggle with lust. You ladies better watch out. And you'd say, oh, wow, okay. I think I might need to find another church, right? We need to start seeing sin as sin. We need to see pride in the same light, at least in severe terms, and, and understand that this is serious business because every sin stems from pride. Who wants to be detestable in the sight of God? Yet that's what the prideful are. I want you to notice what is written in Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man and not God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself and have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because your riches, because of your riches. The words of the Lord to the leader of Tyre are words that easily could be said about many today, even some within the church. Have we lifted up our hearts and said, I am a God? And maybe we don't do it as overtly as the king of Tyre. Maybe it's more unconsciously, subconsciously perhaps. Maybe we're not as arrogant as the king of Tyre, but we may not be as dissimilar as we think. I mean, let's be honest here. If you were God, you might want to do some things differently. You might even say, well, if I were God, I, I would do this differently. Maybe you think that you would do away with earthquakes and tsunamis and, and natural disasters. Maybe you think that you wouldn't wait until the end and store up all your wrath and just unleash it. That Maybe you'd start punishing people along the way. You might do some things differently, but here's the deal. You don't have a universe. God created the universe, which makes him an expert, right? He gets to be in control. You don't have a universe, therefore you don't get to have control. You are the created, not the creator. And I'll be honest with you, I love all of you, but I don't want you running the universe. I don't want me running the universe because I know I'm faulty and I know you are as well. Once you get a universe, once you've created everything just out of nothing, then you get to have a say. But we don't. So many times we speak out against God, even though we are the created and not the creator, and we expect God to bless us in some way, and we say that you know we, we, we expect this from God or that from God, and we get discouraged when we don't have it. We're not the creator. We're the created. We don't have a universe. So are you going to accept God's will for what it is? Are you going to say, I submit myself, I surrender my will to his will, or are you going to say, I know what God says, but. I know what scripture says, but. We don't have a universe. So we're not in the position to demand anything. God molded us and shaped us. He breathed life into us. And, and all too often, we fail to recognize this. We weren't even here a few years ago. 
and we want to demand things of God instead of blessing God for giving us the things that we don't deserve to begin with. I want you to notice what is written in 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 5. It says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our favorite teams wear uniforms, right? All teams wear uniforms. We recognize the uniform of our favorite team. Maybe you've worn a uniform at one time or another. Here's mine. I wore this in high school. I don't know how. I was proud to wear the red and blue. I was proud to represent Paragould High School. But there's another 5A school in Paragould called Green County Tech. Their colors were not red and blue. Their colors were green and gold. They were the Eagles, and Rams don't like Eagles. At one time, it was the biggest rivalry in the state of Arkansas. Both of us are in the same conference. We can't stand each other. Paragould could lose every game of the season but beat Green County Tech that last game, and it would be considered a successful season. No one that goes to school at Paragould High wears green, not even on St. Patrick's Day. Green is not a part of our wardrobe. My point is that teams wear uniforms, and that uniform represents the team that we support when we wear it. You probably have a replica uniform or jersey that you like to wear. Peter says, put on the humble jersey. Adorn yourself with humility. Don't wear the arch rival's jersey. The devil has a uniform as well. He has a jersey, and right across the front of it, in big, bold letters, it says pride. You don't want to wear that jersey. You don't want to wear that uniform for many reasons, but here's the number one reason, is because God opposes that team. God doesn't want you to be a part of that team. He wants you to be on his team. Virtually everywhere you go, there is a dress code, and I know I'm defiling it tonight. But virtually everywhere you go, there is a dress code. And, and, and God is no different when it comes to dress codes. Christianity has a dress code. And you know what it is? It's humility. You adorn yourself with humility. You put on the uniform of humility. And I know, I realize that humility is something that's hard to address in our lives when pride is so prevalent. Pride is a hard ghost to fight. I understand. But still, we have to do our best to do so. It's so easy. For a preacher who's getting his bucket filled every week, a preacher who knows that people are listening and, 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 and hearing what he has to say and, and, and paying attention a lot of times to what he has to say and trying to apply it to their lives, it's easy for a preacher like that to get a little bit full of himself. Of course, I say that as my wife walks out on my sermon. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, she has the nursery duty. Um, it's easy for a song leader to kind of attain that diva status. It's easy for a missionary to, you know, get worshipped by the people and the culture that he's in. It's easy for an elder maybe to, to, to go crazy with power and think that his way is the best way. It's easy for a, a church member that heads up a program to, you know, think that the reason why the program or the church is doing good is because of that program. I mean, there's all different ways that we can fall into the trap of pride, even within our own churches, 
The Christianity, as we said this morning, is marked by selflessness. So when you become a child of God, you switch jerseys, right? And you put on that jersey of humility. When I was coaching basketball, we, we had practice jerseys that were reversible. One side was white, one side was blue. And, and every now and then, you know, I'd get mad at a player on the blue team who was one of the starters. And I'd say, go to the white team and make them switch their jersey around or vice versa. I'd move somebody up. That's what we do when we leave the world and we come into the kingdom. We, we change jerseys, right? We wear a different uniform. You don't put that uniform back on. I don't wear this thing anymore proud of it but I don't wear it anymore you don't put on that jersey that you once wore because you wear a different jersey now one of humility I want you to look at John chapter 2 and in John chapter 2 verse 1 it says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding when the wine ran out the mother of Jesus said to him they have no wine and Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him, and, and when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I want to point out something here that maybe you hadn't seen before. When I read this, I see humility in service. I don't just see a miracle happen. I see humility. Maybe you've not noticed it, but there's a great lesson in here for all of us that is associated with our service as Christians. Notice verses 7 and 8 again. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. What the servants did was just simply draw it out and the head waiter tasted it and lo and behold it didn't taste like water because this was Jesus's first recorded miracle right he turned the water into wine he's the one who did it it was his first recorded miracle the miracle was Jesus's fault and no one else's do you see where I'm going all too often the preacher, the, the, the elders, the song leaders, the, the deacons, the, the church members, whoever it may be, act as though they are responsible for the miracle. And they're not. They're not the ones responsible. They're just drawing water. That's their only responsibility. Preachers don't convert anyone. They're the tool. They're the instrument, right? Song leaders are the instrument of God. Missionaries are God's hands and feet in the world. And this is so important for us to recognize and grasp because too many people of God are shouldering a load that's not theirs to bear. And too many people are sticking their chest out and strutting while they're sitting down when they're not responsible. A missionary may get to thinking that their work 
has led to saving of thousands. A preacher may get to thinking that the church is growing because of his efforts. A song leader may put more stock in his voice than in the power of God working through him. An elder may start to feel as though his way or the highway is the best way, and that's why things are going smoothly. A church member may start to believe that the facilitation of a certain program is what's keeping the church afloat. But don't be fooled by outcomes because this is God at work. And we are simply the tool that he uses. We don't convert anyone. We are not responsible for the miracle that occurs at baptism. We don't grow the church to begin with. We're not the power behind all of this. We draw water. That's our job. That's what we do. We can't get to thinking that this is all about us lest we get down on ourselves when something fails or we get to thinking of too highly of ourselves when something succeeds. We draw water. We give the hungry something to eat. We give the thirsty something to drink. We clothe the naked. We visit the sick and imprisoned. The effect of our kindness that flows from a heart that is dedicated to God is what we do. We preach the gospel. We, do, we don't bring about the final absolution of sin. We give people a shoulder to cry on. We give the grieving a hug. We embrace those who are dealing with difficult burdens. That's our job. We draw water. Kind of like Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots always says, just do your job, and that's our job. Just do that. And don't worry about who gets the credit. Because ultimately, God does. Because this is his church, we are his people, and it is all about him, right? I've got an object lesson here, and I hope you'll appreciate it, because it took me all afternoon to find a sponge. <laughs> Any other time, there'd be a thousand sponges lying around at the church, but I couldn't find one. So I had to go to Dollar General and pay $1.50 for a sponge. <laughs> I want to say that this tube represents God and his will. You can probably guess who the rock represents. It represents the person who is consumed with pride. And you can probably guess that the rock is not going to fit into this tube. It's not supposed to. Because that's what pride does. It hardens our heart. It keeps us from fitting into God's will because ultimately we believe that our will is best. Now, we don't always do this purposely. As I said, sometimes this can be rather subconscious. You know, we, we kind of harden our hearts without even realizing it. And then we get ourselves in trouble because we believe our way is best. And then we want God to bail us out. And maybe we become more like the sponge then. But the goal is to be like the sponge all the time. The rock will not fit. Just not going to. The rock expects everything else, including God's will, to conform to it, right? The sponge, however, is different. The sponge is soft enough, and it represents the soft heart, so that it can conform to whatever that it needs to when it comes to the will of God. So as you can see, the sponge will go into the tube, the sponge representing the soft heart, the tube representing God's will. But notice something else. It doesn't go easily. You've got to work it a little bit, don't you? And that's how we are. It's not easy to fit into God. I don't want to present this like, hey, this is just easy and everybody should be doing it. And I don't understand why. Oh, it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. We think we know best. We think we know we quickly find out that we don't. So what have we learned? Don't be dumb as a rock, right? No, be a sponge. Be, be pliable, be moldable, be shapeable so that you fit into God's will, not trying to do it the other way around. Because that doesn't work, obviously. 
I want to challenge you with something. The rest of this week, the rest of your life really, when you wake up in the morning, before you get out of bed, pray about what you're going to wear. All of you probably consider what you're going to wear every single day, unless you're Blake who wears the same thing every day. <laughs> Most of us, though, consider what we're going to wear. Pray about what you're going to wear. Pray about the uniform you're going to put on. God has a dress code, and it's humility. Adorn yourself each and every day with humility, and let the world around you see who you represent by seeing that jersey. Thank you for being here today. I pray that it's been good for you to be here. I know it has been for me. I'm so blessed to be a part of this congregation, and I hope you feel the same way. And if you're visiting with us, I, I hope you understand that this is a loving, warm, vibrant congregation. We've got great leadership. We've got great, great everything, and I, we'd love for you to be a part of this. But before you leave here tonight, consider what you need to do to be right with God. And maybe, maybe you don't have to do anything. Maybe you're good. Maybe you can answer the invitation where you sit, or maybe you need to come down and you need to ask for prayer. Maybe, maybe you're, you're ready to study the Bible with somebody. Maybe you're ready to take the next step. Maybe you're ready to be baptized. I, I don't know where you're at tonight, but I know this. Don't be so prideful that you can't step out and seek God's will. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?